Well, it's great to see you, and uh, we're going to be back in the book of Genesis. We've been going through the book of Genesis for a long time now. <laughs> we are finally to the promised child. We'll be in Genesis chapter 21. Last time you'll remember we did Genesis chapter 20, we, we talked about Abimelech, king of the Philistines. We, uh, we talked about Abraham and his deception of Abimelech and how ironic it was that here we have this man of faith and we have this unbelieving pagan king and this unbelieving pagan king is being more upright and honest and showing more integrity than Abraham, the man of faith. And now we're getting to chapter 21, and I, I want you to notice something in the juxtaposition of these two things. I want you to notice chapter 21, which is the promised son is finally here, is piggybacked on the back of chapter 20. That's not an accident. We are seeing something of God's nature here. That is that God is faithful even when man is not. Okay? And we're going to get into that. So, before we get any further, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We know that your word shows us truth. We know that we are frail humans and that we are not faithful or doers of our word, but you are. You're the faithful God who always keeps his word, who always keeps his promises. Father, we ask that you would show us truth and grace through this passage, that you would conform us more to the image of Christ, that we, when we leave here, we would be challenged to be more like you. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, let's do this. If you'll stand with me, let's read through this passage, and then we'll get into it. We're going to read through chapter 21. 1 through 21, I am using the New King James this morning. <laughs> One of my pastor friends likes to call it the New King Jimmy. That's what I'll be using, but feel free to use whatever version you've got, obviously. Your translation in your, in your hand there. 21, here's what it says. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing or mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, put it on her shoulder. He gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him, and she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him with your hand, for I will make of him a great nation. 
Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad. He grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is God's word, and there's so much here. You may be seated. I feel like I'm officiating a wedding. You may be seated. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to divide God's word, yes. Well, the truth is we've all made promises in our lives that for some reason or another we weren't able to uphold. Have you ever done that? Yes, you certainly have. Maybe you simply forgot. I've, I've been guilty of that on more times and more occasions than I care to count. I, I wish I could explain it. I, I can't. I'm absent-minded at times. I forget. And it's inexcusable. It's not like the Lord. I hate it. But I've certainly been guilty of it. Maybe you really intended to uphold your promise, but circumstances occurred that kept you from fulfilling it. Maybe you had an accident or a family emergency or a last-minute hindrance at work. <laughs> I'll never forget, there was a morning uh, where I was preaching. No, I was teaching uh, uh, equipping hour that morning. And we were on the way into town, and my son got sick. When I say sick, I mean he was kind of... <clears throat> and I thought, oh no, we're going to get to church, and he's going to be sick, and I'm going to have to spend the morning in the bathroom. Oh no, oh no, we didn't get to church. He threw up, and I mean threw up, into the chair all over the back of the Yukon. And we're on the way to church. I mean, we're pulling over on the side of the road, you know, pulling him out, trying to get this all cleaned up. And we're going, we're going to be late this morning. Yeah. So, yeah, those things happen. It's difficult because as Christians, we want to be men and women of our word, don't we? I hope so. If you don't care to be a man or woman of your word, I question whether you're really a Christian. We want to keep our word. We want to uphold our vows. We want to be faithful to the things that we've said and the things that we've promised. Just like our God is faithful to His word. God is faithful to His word and we're striving to be imitators of Him, right? Ephesians 5.1 tells us to be imitators of God. That's what we're striving to be, to be imitators of Christ. He was good for His word and yet, what happens? Well, the truth is we're frail and we fail. But there's one who is the ultimate promise keeper, who always upholds his word, who always comes through, who always keeps his promises without fail, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to start off this morning by making a very obvious observation. Number one, God will always, always fulfill his word. Now let me give you the bad news. You ready? Number two. God will rarely do it in the timing that you would like. God will always fulfill His Word. God will rarely do it in the timing that you would like. God's timing is perfect. Yours is not. You highly overestimate yourself, your skills, your qualifications, your abilities... You highly overesteem yourself. I love that we have, we have a big movement in our country. You know, you've got to make sure your self-esteem is high enough. So if somebody has low self-esteem, the answer, of course, is for us to just flatter them. That's not the answer, by the way. It sounds paradoxical because it is. But when someone has low self-esteem, it does not come because they think too lowly of themselves. It comes because they think too much of themselves. What do you mean by that? No, they think low. No, they think about themselves too much. You will not fix that problem by telling them to focus on themselves even more. You will not be a good, helpful, useful counselor to someone who has low self-esteem when you tell them, don't have low self-esteem. Look at all these wonderful things about yourself. Spend more time thinking about yourself. No, that's the problem. That's why you are where you are. That's why you have the low self-esteem, because you can't stop thinking about yourself. Well, how do you fix that? You get them to focus on Christ. You get them to focus on others. Stop moping around and thinking about yourself so much. Go help someone in need. 
I, 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 that sounds really harsh and really rude, but it's true. Rarely does God use the timing that we want. And most often that's because we highly overestimate ourselves and God has much more work in us that he has designed to do beforehand. Proverbs 13:12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope that you have to wait on makes your heart sick, doesn't it? You ever experienced that? Am I the only one? I'm certain I'm not. You have something that you're just really excited about, that you really want, you really desire, or, or even maybe even more so, maybe it's something that you truly believe the Lord has promised to you. You've been struggling with it in prayer. You really feel like you've got an assurance. And so as soon as you get that assurance... You're ready for it, aren't you? I'm ready for it. Show me the promise, Lord. Let me ask you a question. How long will God make you wait on a promise? Let me tell you something. As a culture, we're into microwaving and God is into marinating. That's true. We want to rush everything. We'll find a shortcut for everything. And oftentimes that thinking just gets us into more trouble. God doesn't typically operate in the path of shortcuts. My dad used to say this, shortcuts are usually paths that get you nowhere faster. That guy had some pearls, man. He had some wisdom. I, there are days where I really do miss him. My, my, in fact, my siblings and I, his first name was Earl. We called him Earl's Pearls. And one time I had a little, just a book that I just wrote these little sayings. Because every now and then you'd be out building fence, just doing, you know, just doing life. And man, out of it flow, like one of those things, like, that is really good. i got to write that down, right? Another one he told me all the time was, you know, men are like rivers. They become crooked when they take the path of least resistance. It's like, uh, uh, stop, whoop. I know we're building fence, so i got to write that down. i got to find something. That was a pearl. He's right. Shortcuts are typically paths that take you nowhere faster. And God is not about to shortcut the process of your maturation and your development. It's not going to do it. His timing is perfect, but I have bad news for you. He's not in a rush. <laughs> you might be. He's not. You might be in a rush to grow up. Oh man, if I can just get out of the house. I can just get grown up so I can have all those freedoms that I've seen. Or maybe you're in a rush to graduate. Oh, I mean, I got senioritis. Dude, you're only a freshman. I know, but I got senioritis. I've literally had that conversation, right? Maybe you're in college, you feel that way. Oh my goodness, what can I do to get out of here? I remember. Hey, I had senioritis by the time I was a sophomore, right? Why do I got to take all these other stupid classes? I got to want to get done with college. And you know what the problem was? I was in such a rush to get done... It's easy to miss what God's doing around you, in you, through you, right now. No, I'm not ready for you to get done yet. There are people that need to hear the gospel. There are people that you are discipling. Maybe you're in a rush to get married. Uh, just get married. That's going to be the beginning. You've watched the Dooney Disney films, right? And they lived happily ever after. I know it. That's the key. If I just get married, I'll finally be happy. My whole life will be bliss. Ah, uh, yeah. All the married people right now are smiling and chuckling. Yeah, I remember when I thought that too. <laughs> I thought that. We got married. Hey, my wife... I don't know if my wife ever thought that way. I think she knew what she was getting into. Like, this this guy's a project. <laughs> Taking one for the team here. <laughs> yeah, of course. Maybe you're in a rush to have kids. Oh, if we'd only have children. Then everything would be wonderful and perfect and we'd be that happy. In your mind, you see that. Right? We'll be that happy family. There's no problems there. It's not true. Maybe you're in a rush to be in the ministry. Ooh, that's a good one. I know the Lord has called me to ministry. I got good, good news and bad news. 
God's called you to ministry, he will certainly put you in ministry. You know what the bad news is? Hey, Joseph, you know how you get ready for ministry? You get some years in the pit. We used to joke, the pit, preachers in training. That's, that's what Joseph spent, right? Yeah, if, you, if, if that's what the Lord has called you to, I promise, then he's called you to go through some things. Because that's what you minister from. A pastor that's never gone through anything is a pastor that can't relate with anything. He's a pastor that cannot, cannot well counsel people who are actually in the thick of life. Listen, you might be in a rush, but God is not. That's good news, and that's the bad news too, isn't it? So let me ask you a question. How long will the Lord make you wait for a promise? How long did Joseph have to wait? Joseph had the dream, right? Hey, God showed me I'm going to be the the guy. I'm going to be the governor of all of Egypt. Fantastic. He got that dream at 17 years old. How old was he when he became the governor? 30. You might notice there were years, not a couple of days or months or weeks, years in slavery in pits, in prisons, up to that point. How long did God make you wait for a promise? How long did Abraham have to wait for the promised son? 25 years. 25 years? And he got the promise when he was 75. Can you imagine that? 65 years old? Right? I mean, Sarah's 10 years younger than him, right? Can you imagine Abraham coming home? Hey, Sarah, I, I, God actually spoke to me. Awesome. What did he say? We're going to have a baby. I'm 65. This guy's a little past childbearing years. How about 90? That's when she actually had the baby. It's a little past your, you know, you're not exactly a t- tender little whippersnapper, right? How long did Israel have to wait to be delivered out of the bondage? They were promised to be delivered before they even went into bondage. 400 years. Here's another one. How about, how about, when, um, how about when Isaiah was giving his prophecies to Ahaz? Hey, Ahaz, there's some great news for you. God is going to raise up a deliverer. A Messiah. The child will be born of a virgin. That's how you're going to know. This is going to be the sign to you. It's going to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. This is awesome news. Finally, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the one that we've heard about since the garden, he's coming, he's coming here. Yeah, he's coming here. He's coming to Bethlehem. He's going to be born of a virgin. Man, we've got to send people to Bethlehem and keep watch. It's coming, guys. Do you know how long it was? 700 years later. The United States hadn't even been a country for 250 years. 1776, that's what, 244 years? 700 years? Hey, how long did the world have to wait when God came into the garden after the fall and said, hey, I'm going to send the seed of the woman and she's going to crush your head. Thousands of years. What's crazy is you can actually see that that's what Adam and Eve thought. Because right after that, right after chapter 3, remember chapter 3 is the fall. 3.6 is the fall of man. 3.15 is what we call the proto-evangelium. Right? Proto-evangelium means this is the first hint in the scripture of the gospel. This is the first foreshadowing of, of God's great rescue plan for all mankind. Right? So... On the, on the very heels of that, in that immediate context, chapter 4 opens up with, and Adam knew his wife, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. You know, they hear, they, 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 we have the fall, Adam and Eve are standing there, they hear, oh, God's going to send my seed to crush that, crush that snake, alright. Hey, I just had a baby, maybe this is the one. Eve obviously thinks that. She talks in that, in that fashion. In fact, when, 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 remember, she has Cain and then she gets pregnant again, has Abel. Abel is righteous. Cain, not so much. Cain kills Abel. She gets pregnant again, has another son named Seth. And what does she say about Seth? Here's literally what she says. She says, for God has appointed another seed for me 
instead of Abel because Cain killed him. She references Seth as her seed rather than her son. She thinks this is the guy. How long did God make the world wait? I got news for you. God is into waiting. And we are not. We're not. She was hoping for it. Eve was hoping for it. This is the guy. This is the, this is the snake crusher. This is the head crusher. This is the deliverer. This Seth, he's the seed. No, he's not. Well, what about Seth's son? Well, yeah, he's going to be a good That's not it either. What about his son's son? What about his son's son's son? What about his son's 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 son? Mm, you're going to have to go a long way. How long? The entire world would be destroyed and remade before the promised seed. God is into waiting. Hope would have to be deferred. He would fulfill His promise. God will always fulfill His promise. But, there would be some waiting in the meantime. 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. And that's true. Notice it does not tell us that all the timings of God are yes and amen, does it? It does not mention the timing of God. Amen? See what I did there? Yes and amen. I tried. Dead jokes, the only kind of jokes I've got, people. If you want to laugh, you're going to have to lower your standards, okay? 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He might exalt you in due time. We like to cut that part off. I'll humble myself and God will exalt me. Yes, in due time He will. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season... We shall reap if we don't lose heart. You know why Galatians tells us not to grow weary while doing good and not to lose heart? Because it's easy to do, isn't it? You know why? We get tired of waiting. We'll abandon the process. Jump ship. I waited long enough, God. You ain't doing it on my time schedule. Therefore, I'll go do my thing. Well then... You're showing exactly what your faith really is made of, isn't it? I had a pastor who was more like a father figure to me, actually, for about eight years. And he was very fond of saying, time is the best friend truth ever had. There's a lot of things about people that you don't know until you've been around them for long enough. You know what? There's a lot of things about yourself you won't know. Except you have to wait. Except you're forced to have patience. What's James say about that? Paul Priest has been preaching through James. And I've been enjoying it. I love it. I come to church. I get a spiritual beating and I go home. Right? Black eyes spiritually, right? Like, hey, what did you think of the sermon? It's great. It's great. It's fantastic. Can you get my teeth? Right? James, James is actually a book I started memorizing like a lot of other things I've done in my life. I started memorizing the book of James. I got about halfway through it and then stopped. So today I can rattle off the first two chapters of James. Never finished it. Sad. I had a girl in my youth group at the time who memorized two entire books. The pastor comes to me. He's like, man, whatever you guys are doing must be working. I'm like, yeah, she's going to be the youth pastor next month. Okay, Look, she's growing. What does it say, though? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience, let the waiting, let patience have its perfect work that you might be mature and complete, lacking nothing. How do you become mature in the faith? Lacking nothing? You don't just read the Word. No, you get to go out and experience it in life. You don't get that in a college class. You don't. You don't get that in a seminary course. I'd love if I could have taken that in a seminary course, right? Hey, I'll take a three-hour course. I'll pay you some money. I'll spend a semester. 
And I'll get all that character, that character that actually happens and is worked through me by years of patience under, under trial. Time under trial, that's how you get it. Why do we need the testing of our faith? The waiting period grows us to maturity in our faith. Why did Abraham need 25 years before the son of promise? Listen, God wasn't just wasting time. And He's not doing it with you either. He's not wasting time. He's utilizing the time. And typically, we don't even, we're, we're just oblivious of it because we're so spiritually dense. Our heart is hard enough that it's hard for us to discern, oh, God's actually doing something here. Yes, He is. Yeah. He's building character in you. Oh, that's what they always say. Oh, it builds my character. No, really it does. God says He is going to conform you to the image of Christ. Guess how He does that? Time under tension, baby. Time in the trials. The testing of your faith, the waiting period cannot be shortchanged. It grows you to maturity in your faith. You cannot be mature and complete in the faith without the waiting. You cannot be mature and complete in the faith without patience. It's patience that must hammer out its perfect work in you. That's fun to hear, isn't it? I want you to know this was really fun for me too when I was writing this. Is it's like you're beating, you know, it's just the Holy Spirit beating on you, you know, like, gosh, I should, I know, oh, yeah, this is, yeah, right. Same thing for you. It's patience that teaches you faith and faithfulness. You can't see whether a person is faithful if there's no patience. The Bible says every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a good man who can find. Um, every person will say that they're faithful. Well, how do you know when they really are or not? You watch them over an extended period of time. Lots of folks in our culture, just like Stephen was telling us earlier, will tell you they're a Christian. How do you know whether they really are or not? Observe their life for an extended period of time. You'll be able to see. So why is it such a big deal? Well, it's in this meantime. God promises and God performs. But in the middle, there's this meantime, isn't there? In the meantime, what do you do? Sometimes the meantime is... Mean time, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what you learn in the meantime? You learn wisdom. You learn discernment. Listen, you don't get discernment from a book. You don't get it from a seminary course. Trust me, that's another one. I would love to pay you know, $1,000 and take a one semester course and have discernment when I'm done. But you don't. How do you get discernment? <coughs> Live life. Walk through situations with Christ. Get burned. Get used. Get lied to. That's how you learn it. How do you learn forgiveness? <laughs> Listen, before you get married, you need forgiveness. But how do you learn forgiveness? Get burned. Get used. Get lied to. Get lied about. And forgive. And learn to let it go. I, I like the old Spurgeon quote. Don't be upset if any man thinks evil of you. You're far worse than he thinks you are. <laughs> There's truth in that. You learn humility through those trials. I've got news for you. If you're going to do anything for Christ, you will need humility. It's not about you. I literally had this conversation with a kid that I, I used to coach and teach. He went through OBU, he went through the um, Bible college, he's a youth pastor now, and he was talking about how he's working at this restaurant, and people come in really late, and he doesn't get paid for this, and it you know, keeps him from going home. And I said, look, I, I'm going to tell you something you already know, your life's not about you. Here's something else you already probably know, but you haven't thought about, your trial's not about you either. No, it's not. We like to think that it is. All the world revolves around us. No, God is doing something in that trial. You may be too dense to, to pick that up. And so you get bitter about it. You get angry. Right? 
But maybe there's somebody else that's there beside you who's watching you. They want to know whether this Christianity thing is really real or not. And now, at the same time, when everybody else is bickering, complaining, grumbling, they're watching you walk through the same trial and you have peace and joy. You're kind to people when others aren't. You're humble when others wouldn't be. All of a sudden, that witness of yours, that testimony of yours has traction because your words and your works match up. The testing of your faith produces patience. It will have its perfect work. It's He who's working in you to will and do to His good pleasure. Now, having said all of that by way of introduction, there's no shortcut to what God does. It's not. Let's examine our primary text. There is no way we're getting through all 21 of these verses, is there? No, that's all right. We'll get through what we get through, right? The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Remember, Abraham and Sarah were first told about this promised child 25 years beforehand. They had been waiting and looking for it. 25 years. And you know what the problem was? They've done the same thing that you'll be tempted to do. God has made this promise. I know it's going to come to pass, so I'm going to help Him out. I say it this way. I think they must have been good Baptists because that's what we do. We help God out. (laughs) And then get ourselves in all kinds of trouble because we do. I will help God out. Yeah, we, I, God said we're going to have a baby, but golly, we keep getting older. Uh, you know what we need? We'll, we'll, we'll just do this. We'll, I'll, I'll take Hagar, my, my slave girl, and, and I'll give her to you as a wife, and then that's how we can have this promised child. Whose idea was that, by the way? Just, just as way of reminder, that was Sarah's idea. Remember, later she gets really mad because of Hagar's son and says, cast her out. I mean, Abraham was you know, a smart man. You know, it's not one of those, you don't want to just, you know, look back at her and be like, uh, this was your idea, right? Yeah, it's probably not the time or the place for it, right? But it was her idea. Her plan came to fruition, and then she didn't like it. Well, this wasn't how I thought it was going to go. I didn't see it going this way. Imagine that. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Here it is in two verses. We've already had three times. It's been stressed to us that God is keeping his word even to the most minute detail. And it's right on the heels of Abraham's being so faithless. It's right on the heels of Abraham's huge failure. Where he lies to Abimelech, Abimelech calls him out on his lie, and instead of Abraham going, you're right, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have lied to you, he tries to cover it up and justify it. Well, she really was, she really is my half-sister. I mean, it wasn't really a total lie. What a moron. And yet, the very next thing we see is God being faithful. It's a beautiful picture in Scripture. Here's why it's such a beautiful picture in Scripture. You and I have a performance mentality. We, by nature, think God will be more kind to us, have more favor on us if we perform correctly. If I do the right things, if I say the right things and pray the right prayer, that's what the Word of Faith movement is. Just speak it. You speak out the right stuff. God just can't help but bless you. Just speak it out. I believe checks are coming in the mail. I have been at a church where they confessed that before the service. We believe money in the mail, checks in the mail, raises and promotions. That's the confession. You think that's how God works? You think you just speak it and that's going to come to pass? Is that what you think? Ooh, I can tell. Some of you do. You do believe that. That's a problem. You have imbibed Gnosticism. You have drank it down. It's a good thing Abraham didn't believe that. Good thing the Apostle Paul didn't believe that. 
If you believe that, your spiritual walk will be a train wreck at some point. I was in the Word of Faith. I was a pastor in the Word of Faith Church for five years. I saw that. I don't know how many counseling sessions I had with people because they'd been speaking all the right things and God wasn't doing it. As if somehow they were able to manipulate God. Oh, if I say the right stuff, God has to do what I want Him to do. I got news for you, sweetheart. He doesn't work that way. You will not manipulate God. God is God. You are not. That was, I'm not, I'm not lying to you. That was hard for me to come to grips with. I mean, if I say this, I won't just get rich by saying I'm going to get rich. Well, it'll work better if you get a job. Just throw it out there. It's another one of those variables in the equation. Let's move on. I'll, I'll get stuck on that train. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. That's verse 3 and verse 4. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Those two things seem like they don't really matter, but they matter a lot. They're a huge deal. Why are they a huge deal? They're actually obedience. They're obedience. God had told him two things. God had told him way back in Genesis 17, hey, you're going to have a... Actually, after Sarah laughed at the tent door, right... God shows up. Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, shows up with two angels. Hey, I'm on the way to destroy Sodom. And they get to talking and, you know, over the meal, he says, hey, by the way, you're going to have a son. And Sarah's back in the tent and she laughs. And then God tells him later, hey, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Isaac. That wasn't an accident. Isaac means laughter. I'm going to make sure you remember forever that I came and told you something and you laughed. You didn't believe me. But I'm going to do it. Period. Okay, you're going to name him Isaac. And then, of course, later she says in this chapter, right, people will laugh with me when they hear about this. So he named him Isaac. That's obedience. What's the next thing he does? Circumcises him. Why is that a big deal? Because God had told him, your children are going to be circumcised. Actually, everybody in your household. Imagine, imagine that. I mean, you've got some warriors in this household, right? Fellas, I've heard from God. Really? What did he say? We're all going to get cut today. Is that right? How so? You're not going to like what I'm about to say. <laughs> You're right. I'm going to tell you right now. Look, I have changed. You know, I've gone had to, for my job. I, I've had to go and buy certain clothes, right? Never had a job that they said, hey, to work here, to stay here in the household, uh, look. There's some body modification that's going to have to work. It's going to have to happen. I've never had one of those jobs. It's pretty serious. But he is being obedient. Why is that a big deal? That's the difference between a Christian's life and an unbeliever's life. Obedience to Christ. Not the stinking things that you confess over yourself. It's obedience to Christ. You mean I have to be obedient to Christ? Are you saying Christ has commands? I don't think you know Christ, Pastor. Obviously, you don't understand the God of the New Testament. Okay, we're free of all commands. So strange, because Jesus says in John 14.15, if, 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 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It would be an odd thing to say if he didn't have commandments, right? Yes, Christ does have commands for us. And obedience to them is really the demarcation of a watching world of your lifestyle and the lifestyle of an unbeliever. Verse 5, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me and everyone who hears will laugh over me or he'll laugh with me. She said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Who would have thought that? She's not wrong. Think about what she's saying. She's 90. I have a great grandma who's 97. What would I think if she was nursing children? I mean, that's a pretty strange sight, don't you think? 90-year-old lady is not just pregnant and having a child, but nursing the child. Her body has literally been rejuvenated. 
The name Isaac means laughter, by the way. Who would have said that I would nurse children, and yet I have borne a son to Abraham in his old age? Verse 8, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. In those days, children were typically weaned at two to three years of age. That was common. Made sense, too, because they're getting teeth, right? I don't think I have to go into too much detail. Like, you know, nursing kids that have teeth, not a good combination, right? Every mother here is like, amen. Yeah. So they're typically weaned at two or three days. And that was a big deal, two or three years of age. It was a big deal because... That's kind of the first real milestone in their journey toward adulthood, right? That was the first real milestone in that culture. Hey, they're no longer just on milk. Now they can finally handle solid food. They're growing up. right? Paul even references that same thing, right? Hey, milk is for babes, but you ought to be on meat by now. You ought to be on solid food. Right? Verse 9, Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian whom she had borne to Abraham laughing. How strange. The worldly one was laughing at the child of promise. Matthew Henry had a big section. I was reading his commentary. I like to read him from time to time. I was reading his commentary. He said, this is, this is not strange to any Christian to be the laughing stock of the world. He's right. The scripture says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will Suffer persecution, period. Not might, not may, not could. They will. And one of the ways that believers will suffer persecution from the world and from worldly Christians is by being the laughing stock. Oh, you really believe this? You're really going to, oh, you're not going to go, you're not going to do that? You're going to do this? You guys do, oh gosh. Yeah, I know. I know. So, I know. Huh? These guys. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. You'll be laughed at. Do you think I'm laughed at? Do you think my lifestyle is ever mocked by the people I love or the people around? Absolutely. My family? Yes. My friends? Yes. Why? Those who are not believers will laugh. They'll mock at your devotion to Christ. It's strange to them. That's so weird, isn't it? It's strange to them that you'd have such devotion to Christ, but it's just fine if you spend that many hours and thousands of dollars chasing down, you know, football dreams or basketball or baseball, theater. But as soon as you take that kind of devotion and time and effort and money and you put it into Christ or discipleship, you're weird. He's one of those weird Christians. I remember (laughs) years ago, I can remember going in and getting a... uh, Haircut, I'm at like pro cuts or something. And uh, I lay back in this chair, you know, the lady cut my hair, she just talk, 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 you know, just small talk. And so I thought, well, if we're going to talk so much, we're gonna, let's, let's talk about Jesus, right? So we t- I start talking to her about the Lord and, and uh, trying to kind of explain the gospel a little bit. And she's like, oh, I'm a Christian. And I was like, oh, okay, oh, I, I didn't know that. Well, fantastic, great. Yes, now, and I'm not one of those weird Christians, though. I said, I'm, oh, okay, you know, of course, I'm back, like, this is when I didn't cut my hair like this. I had hair at the time. Yeah. Oh, what's that mean? You're not a weird Christian. Well, like our neighbors, they're those weird kind of Christians. What do you mean by those weird kind of Christians? Well, you know, they're those ones that like, they tithe and sometimes they fast. I remember thinking, oh, they're like real Christians and stuff. You know, (laughs) I didn't know what to say. Like, how do you drive this conversation? Oh, okay. She's like, well, you know, we, we go to church and stuff, but I mean, we're not one of those weird Christians. That's exactly what people will think of you. You're one of those weird Christians. You really are devoted? You, you really believe this thing? It, it doesn't just, it's not just a Sunday thing or a Wednesday night thing. It's an all the time thing. Oh, you're one of those weird Christians. You're one of those guys, huh? You're going to be the laughing stock. Isaac was the laughing stock. And yet, Isaac was still the one that was there at the end. The son of the bondwoman must be driven out. Because he represents the world. Right? He's a type and a shadow of the world. 
And so Sarah said to Abraham, Sarah is not happy about this. She sees her son being mocked at by Ishmael. And she says to Abraham, you cast out this slave woman and her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be the heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. I love that. That's like the understatement of the year. And the thing was very displeasing. You think? You think it might have been a little bit? Yeah. Did Abraham love Ishmael? This is his son. This is his son. Sarah doesn't have any stake in him. She doesn't care about Ishmael. Right? He's just a jealous rival as far as she's concerned. But that's Abraham's son. Remember, he had, he had prayed about that. He had asked God, oh, that Ishmael could live before you. Lord, this is my son. I love this boy. This is my son. Send him away. You think that was displeasing? At this point, Ishmael was in his teenage years. 15, 16, 17, possibly as old as 19. He's not a little kid anymore. Abraham has taught him a lot of stuff, which is actually going to serve him very well in his life. He's going to become a great nation. He's going to become very good with the bow, as we learned, right? He's going to become a very good hunter. Nations are going to come from him. Is it displeasing? Absolutely. This is his son. He loves his son. You know what the picture is here? He loves something that God never gave him. This is what I did. Strength of my hand, and I love it. You know what? You can do the same thing. You know, you can invest yourself into pursuits that you shouldn't invest yourself in. And then you can get so invested in those pursuits that when God says, I want you to give it up, you can't give it up. No, you don't understand, God. I've spent years in this. Yeah. You spent years investing in this thing against my word. No, I've been with this girl so long. I know she's not born again. But you can change her, God. You know how I know those kind of talks happen? Because I had one of them. Oh, God, I know she's not a Christian, but you can change her, right? No. You can invest yourself in things that God tells you not to invest yourself in and get yourself so wrapped up in it that then you can't get rid of it. You're too deep. You can do it with relationships. You can do it with job choices. You can do it with all kinds of stuff. You can do it with secret sin. It was very displeasing. Yeah, I would think so. It was very displeasing. It was very displeasing because he loved Ishmael. As any father would. He loved his son. By the way, this kind of bitter infighting and rivalry brings into focus why God's plan is one man, one woman for life. The problem with Abraham was not that he had too many sons. Okay? He only had two sons. It's not too many sons. The problem is he had too many wives. You with me? By the way, we have a culture that does that today. No, they don't. I don't know any polygamists. Sure you do. You know people who are serial polygamists. They may not marry two or three women at the time, but they marry one, and then three years later, got a new one, and then five years later, got a new one. And wonder why we have all these problems. i got this blended family. It's got a lot of trials. You think? Yeah, God's Word says that the way of the transgressor is hard. It is hard. I was in one of those homes. Okay? I was in a home where... My mom wasn't my mom. And there were kids that were hers, and there were kids that were not hers. And I've got news for you. They're not always treated the same. We have an entire culture that is built around divorce. We do. That's one of the things that I love about Justin Wright so much is he is so adamant about the problems and pitfalls of dating. And he says it over and over and over. I know that by the time those kids are done with his class, they're so tired of hearing it. I mean, they could about pull their hair out, right? And yet he tells them over and over and over. This is divorce practice. This is divorce practice. You know, he's right. We have an entire culture built on that. 
And until we're willing to stand up and say it's not right, it's not okay, it will continue. We have a lot of problems in our culture that just stem just from that. God hates divorce, period. You know what we do? Well, it's, it's not optimal. Suboptimal. It's, it's more than suboptimal. Adultery is a big deal. Divorce is a big deal. Why? Because of what it does to your family. Can I tell you that? I grew up in a broken home. I know exactly what it does to your family. And without Christ's intervention, let me tell you where I would be today. Either in prison or dead. Well, I, had a, I was a big kid. By the time I was 13 or 14, I was bigger than my mom. My stepdad was about the size of my mom. I had a big, strong dad who would not take nonsense, but he didn't live with me at the time. He wasn't there. He didn't see. Listen, there are a lot of problems in our society that stem from this kind of nonsense. You know, there was a, uh, I'll tell you this, this is very strange. There was a, uh, a problem with some elephants in Africa. Big game reserve in Africa. I actually got to visit there. Went to Africa in 2007 and got to preach. In the last few days, we got to see some sites, and one of them was this huge game reserve in Zambia. And um, they had a lot of elephants. They had some real problems. These elephants were killing everything. They were killing other elephants. They were killing rhinoceros. So they're trying to find out what is it. They, they find all these dead animals with gore holes on them, right? I mean, they've been gored. By something, looks like it's an elephant. And they find out there's basically the teenage version of elephants. And they are just running amok, man. They're killing it. They're bullies. They were elephants that did not have fathers. So they decided, let's go find some old bull elephants. And let's bring them into the park and just see what they'll do. You know what they did? They whooped those boys. Do you know what stopped happening? The bullying. We've got a lot of problems in our society that stem from young men who have no father. And it's a lot of times because those dads or moms are familiar with a church that doesn't say anything about it. A pulpit that won't address it because that's too touchy of a subject. And I'm going to tell you something. You can hate me for it, but I will address it. You made a vow. You keep your word. You made a vow to love that man or that woman. Till death do us part, you said it, you keep it. Uh, you just don't understand. We have like irreconcilable differences. We're just not friends anymore. No, I understand. I understand that you don't know what love means. You think love means fuzzy feelings. You don't have fuzzy feelings. I'm going to go find somebody that I can have fuzzy feelings with again. That's nonsense. I'm glad my wife doesn't love me that way. I know it's probably hard for you to imagine. But there are days where my wife wakes up and looks over at the guy next to her and does not have warm, fuzzy feelings. I know, that's hard to imagine. No, she made a vow to God and she keeps it. She chooses to love me when I'm not worthy of love. There's not been a day I've ever woken up that I've been worthy of love. There's not. There's not been a day I've ever awoke that I was worthy of Christ's love or my wife's love or the love of my children or anybody else. Instead, she's made a vow and she keeps it. At some point, the church in America is going to have to look this issue square in the face and we're going to have to call it for what it is. And we're going to have to call our people back to this crazy thing called loving your spouse. Or even in the tough times, you don't go looking for a new girl or a new guy. You don't go hook up with the secretary at work because you and your wife don't have the fuzzy feelings anymore. Or you don't go hook up with your boss at work because you and your husband just don't get along very well. Ah, we just don't have as good of conversations anymore. I want you to think back about that because Sarah is really angry about what's going on with her son and yet it was... Her plan that actually went right. And yet God said to Abraham, don't be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. I'm looking around. Looking for how many ladies are like underlining that. Yeah, do as she tells you. 
show that to my husband today. The Lord spoke to me at church. <laughs> Who showed me his word, boy. <laughs> my wife's like, glory. <laughs> he says, I'll make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he's your offspring. Listen, I don't think that was easy for Abraham. He loved Ishmael. And yet, God says, do as she says. And she had said, put him away. And so he says, okay, I'll put him away. I've I got to be honest with you, I don't like the way he does it. I'm not certain it's really righteous the way he does it. I mean, look, he gives her bread and water. I mean, the, 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 you know, when, he, when he entertained the pre-incarnate Christ and the angels come by his tent on the way to destroy Sodom. And he's like, hey, here's some strangers, right? Hey, make up some bread. Let's, let's go fit, you know, kill the fatted animal. Let's, let's make a big beat. That's what he does. And then his own son, here's some bread, here's some water. Good luck. Send you out in the wilderness. Here's a skin of water. A skin? He had all kinds of stuff. You couldn't send a couple servants? You couldn't load up a couple of you know, camels or donkeys? Hey, here's the provisions you'll need for your journey. Send him out in the wilderness. Okay. He does. But God, again, but God, but God had made a promise to Hagar, hadn't he? Long, long time ago. Remember when she first, she gets pregnant and has this baby? Remember when she was sent out in the wilderness the first time? And God rescues her and says, no. Where are you going? Well, I'm fleeing because my, my mistress, my master, she's, she's persecuting me. And God says, I want you to go back. I want you to submit to her. I have plans for this boy. I have heard your cry. That's why she named him Ishmael. I've heard your cry. I've got plans for this boy. You don't worry about that. You go back and submit yourself there. You think God remembered his word? you darn right. And he found her and he found that boy. Yep, you've been thrown out into the wilderness with one skin of water and a little bit of bread. But it doesn't matter because I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to perform my word. Let me tell you something. If God has spoken it, he will perform it. It may not be on your time. It may not be on your timetable. It may not be to your liking, but he will perform it. And he's not performing it because of you. He's not performing his word because you're so good or you're so wise or you're so faithful. He's performing his word because he is so faithful. And trust me, that is reason for us to celebrate. Because you're frail and you will fail. And I'm not saying you want to. Obviously, you don't. If you're a Christian, you don't want to fail God, but you will. And yet God will perform his word anyway. Do you know there have been times where God has performed His Word? He's done incredible things for me right on the heels of my failures. Sometimes God will do that for a reason. You know what the reason is? To show you you're not the key. God, you don't understand. I blew it. I blew it. I, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I blew up a lot. Yeah. And if you were the key to God's plan, we'd be in real trouble. But the key to God working out God's plan is God. God is the one who can rely on God. We all say we want God to be able to rely on us, but God knows who we are and he knows what we are. If God's plan, if God's entire plan was hinging on me, on my ability, on my wisdom, on my qualifications, on my good sense and good judgment, I have bad news for you. We're all in trouble, but it's not. God's plan and God's promise is reliant solely upon Him. If He has spoken it, He will do it. Oh, I really feel like I, I, I've got this answer in prayer from God. I feel an assurance God has, has showed me this or spoken this to my soul. Then God will do it. What if I screw up? God's promises are not dependent upon you. God is the one who's at work in you, both to will and do, to his good pleasure. God is the one who will perform his word. You cannot. 
You are going to work, you're going to walk in those. The Bible says that he has, he has laid out good works for you to do before time began, that you might walk in them, and you're going to do your best to do that. But the, the good news is this, God is going to perform his word, period. He's going to do it through you. He's going to do it in spite of you. And when you're trying your very best, I'm trying to serve God the best I know how, and I'm screwing it up. It's okay. God is at work. It's not about your strength. It's not the strength of the one that runs or him who wills. It's God. And that's the good news of the gospel in Genesis chapter 21. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you that you're a faithful God who always performs his word, even when we're not. Even when we screw up, you perform your word, you do it. You're a God that's not like we are. You're a God who's entirely able to perform his word, who never forgets, he never gets distracted, never gets encumbered or hindered, but you always perform your word, always at the perfect time. Show us, Lord, how to be patient, how to wait on you, that we might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Show us how to be obedient to you, how to be faithful to you. Let us walk in your ways, Lord, in such a manner that others know that we love you, that we're serving you, and that we are your people. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.